I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful by slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're back, and it's time to react to some football, Sam. Overreact. Overreact. Yes. I, I, I hate overreacting, but yeah. we're going to do it. We're well, gonna this is what it. happens. This is the first football preseason, okay, week one, right? Most starters, nowhere to be seen. They're on a beach somewhere. But it is the first new football that we have seen since... You know the Super Bowl. Yeah, so we have to uh, we have to really overreact to it. If you are looking for more, you know, level-headed reactions and yeah. previews, go check out our last four episodes. We spent what did we spend? Almost ten hours, about ten hours previewing the NFL. A lot of time. We should we should package that up into one mega episode. You keep saying this. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just do it. Let's just stitch together the four episodes and just throw it out there and see how it does. Repeating it endlessly doesn't make it a better idea. It does. It's 10 hours. It's 10 hours of greatness. Uh-huh. Um, but we previewed all 32 NFL teams, division by division. Those are our last four episodes. If you haven't seen them yet or, or listened to them yet, go check those out. Uh, before we get into preseason overreactions, the other things we have on today's show, we'll talk a little bit, a little bit about the rookies because that's where most of the overreactions are probably coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have... At Old Takes Exposed on the show here today. Yeah. Mr. At Old Takes Exposed. Mm-hmm. I have his book somewhere. Over there yeah, you somewhere. should probably have it on hand. I should. I'll have it later on hand in a seamless transition where I will also spontaneously change outfit. Oh, it's going to be great. the book will be here. And I'm going to leave. But yeah, yeah. And you're going you're gonna to talk to him. But we have his book. So it's, it's perfectly timed, really, because we're going to spend the first while overreacting to everything we just saw in a really small sample size of week one preseason. And then we're going to have on the guy... That makes everybody's life a misery when they do that. So, Mr. Hat All Takes Exposed. Freezing Cold's Takes is, I think, the official like handle of the thing. Yeah. Uh, Fred Siegel is the man's name. But he's written a book. Like the All Takes Exposed Twitter account has written a book. Uh, essentially the story behind some of the biggest and baddest misses and terrible takes out there. So he'll be on later. The goal of today's show, when we get into it, is to get into his next book. Right? Let's have such a strong, ridiculous take that we're going to be uh, in his next book. I mean, I'm amazed we're not in this one, to be honest. We've had enough. I, you in particular. Hey. You in particular. Look. All right. What, what's up with the charity drive? How are we doing so far? We were almost at $1,000. We're at a, uh, $982 raised for Needs, Inc. Uh, they provide money to help uh, with the financial cost of service dogs, which are insanely expensive. Not insanely because, you know, it's not worth it, but just, wow. If you are in need of a service dog... Upwards of $17,000 to buy the dog, $40,000 to train the dog. You are out a lot of money. Um, so Needs Inc. help people that with that cost. And it's a, a, a very big cost to help them with. So I'd love to get it by Friday so we could do this test on Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. I'm sure. Because I'll have access. I'll be on the field this Friday. That would be And awesome. I'd like to invite you with a radar gun. So let's do it. Goal is twenty five hundred. We're at nine eighty two. Yeah. So we're raising money for the good cause. But in addition to that, once we hit that goal, we're going to find out if I can pitch a baseball sixty miles an hour. And you just sitting here critiquing my form, miming a throw is like, no, nah, it's a curveball. It's never going to happen. I'm just saying. 
I've got no confidence. I don't think you're going to do it. But I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see. So we appreciate everybody that's that's given to any of those charity drives and uh, that will continue with the charity drives. Pin tweet at PFF underscore Sam or the description of the podcast. If you haven't heard by now, Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy football this summer. We've all been there in fantasy football leagues. It's Sunday morning. You're digging through news reports, trying to figure out whether to start your stud wide receiver that tweaked his hamstring last week or... You have a player on your team who hasn't been getting in the end zone. Then one week, he suddenly goes off for 30 points on your bench. With Underdog Fantasy, all the stress of who to start each week is lifted off your shoulders because it's best ball format. Draft your teams before the season starts and get the best score in your lineup each week. Right now, you can draft an Underdog's Best Ball Mania 3. It's the tournament to take your shot at 10 million dollars in total prizes. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. Underdog drafts close before NFL kickoff. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. All right, Sam, preseason week one. Full week in the books. Let's overreact, react, and what'd you see this week that uh, you know is for sure the truth? Well, the Romeo Dubs, or Romeo Dobbs, I think we're, we're going to make an official pivot to Dobbs. We're going to go to Dobbs. Yeah. We're going to go to Dobbs. We're at Dubs. Yeah. Some people started off at Dubs. Yeah, that was off. It's right. not Dubs. No. Um, we started off I've at I've seen Dubs. pronunciations at Dubs. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are saying Dobbs. We're making the official pivot to Dobbs. Let's go to Dobbs. Okay. So Romeo Dobbs. Until he, otherwise yeah. pushed into the, the fourth wrong, round direction. Green Bay Packers wide receiver, rookie, uh, is obviously on his way to the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, it's been heading that way. <laughs> through training camp he looks know? like a better version of Devonte adams of course um so we hit am i overreacting to think there are elements to just the way he moves his body and oh, like, he really turned around that. for the third and short and his contorts his Devontae's Devontae, Devontae, the way he contorts his body and stuff i'm just sitting here quietly so we can effectively uh, cut that out audio wise and play it back to mr old takes exposed later on yeah, yeah let's make sure we have some good clean audio yeah yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, Romeo Dobbs, Dobbs, damn it. Romeo Dobbs has been tearing it up in training camp. Um, reportedly one of the best, reportedly the best wide receiver in Green Bay, which, to be fair, is not a tremendously high bar to clear. But getting some of the best hype throughout the NFL, we've been talking him up a bit as well. This is the first time we get to see him on the field in semi-real conditions, right? Does this work against opposition? Does this work against other people? And it did. He immediately, like the 49ers left him in single coverage, and it was just like, oh, touchdown. Like, boom, bomb, deep downfield. Um, had a couple of other nice plays as well. Okay, there was a drop pass in there as well. But, yeah, like he looks – it looks off this tiny small bit of evidence that Green Bay have legitimately found a good wide receiver in the fourth round. The touchdown that he had, a little slot fade, uh, he looks quick off the line. Yep. He, um, even in college, I was going back through my notes on him, just he's really good at stacking receivers, right? So you just get on top of the receiver and give your quarterback. Which negates a speed advantage. We saw that in the, in the there's a training camp clip going around where he beats uh, Eric Stokes on a deep pass. Eric Stokes runs a four two five, like and Dobbs, Dobbs doesn't, you yeah. know? But it doesn't matter because he stacks him and there's no way of Eric Stokes getting that back, right? You can't. Even if you're faster, you've got to run around the guy to get back to in phase and make a play. Stokes can—he's not going to lose any ground, but he's not going to get it back anymore because uh, Dobbs is right in front of him. 
Dobbs did have a wide open drop, which hurt his grade a little bit. But again, I, I think with the preseason, for me, it's less of, I mean, certainly the production grades don't matter a whole lot. It's really about seeing how a guy performed, the places where he performed. Having a having a bad grade or a good grade on one or two plays is going to skew things in, mm-hmm. in small sample sizes. So I wouldn't worry about the grades a, a ton. It, they are a good guiding light, I think, in the preseason just to say, hey, how did this guy perform? But for me, it's about seeing the skill set. And with, with Dobbs' skill set, you see um, he had the you know dig uh, in-cut where it just looked so smooth in and out of his break. I think where the questions are going to be, though, now it's about, okay, overall feel. Um, if he truly is the Packers' number one receiver this year, how much attention does he get? Right? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't mean he's going to go out there and catch 130 passes and be – you know, Devontae Adams. No, it doesn't it, actually it mean it. does. That's the, the oh, that's the show. Overreaction show. Oh, I'm not that's good exactly this. what's happening. All right. Romeo Dubs going to the going to the Hall of Fame. Um, but yeah, look, the is, we talked about this on the the daily this morning, leading into the show, in fact. Um, talking about Kenny Pickett's uh, preseason debut. It's it's the first hurdle you need to clear. Like it would have been an issue if we'd had all this training camp hype for Romeo Dobbs. And then he rolls out here in the first real game action against a different team and disappears. And we don't see anything from him. Can't yep. get open, locked down, doesn't make any catches, doesn't make any plays. And now you're like, whoa, where did, what happened there? Where did that go? That would have been concerning. But instead, we've got a continuation of the theme, which is underrated player in the draft, dominating through training camp, now dominates his first preseason game. Doesn't mean it's going to continue into the regular season, but it's like the next hurdle. And then the next hurdle is, well, let's see it again. And then regular season and then long you know it's it's all this sequence of bars you have to clear and this is just the next one in the process all right let's just follow that up with george pickens is also going to the hall of fame yeah and this is the best wide receiver class of all time oh okay how about that sure i mean look so let's just back up a little bit right you're on a real theme of like taking it from zero to 100 in a rapid space of time lately you said let's overreact let's get in the book we want to get in the next book it's best wide receiver class of all time this is it This is the best class. Forget 2014. Forget, what was it, two years ago? Twenty. Forget it. This is it. This is the draft class. You got a fourth rounder like Dobbs tearing it up. Of course, everybody above him is going to be great. That's true, yeah. Right? George George Pickens. I, I, first off, has he found like a, a flaw in the system? Because he keeps destroying cornerbacks yeah. on running plays. I don't think there's a flaw in the system as much as like there's – So there's no way – really quick though. There's no way – so you've got a cornerback – just lined up with him. He's like, all right, I'm going to man up with George Pickens. Here's yeah. the play. I'm going to cover him one-on-one. You know, if it's a run play, we're going to dance a little bit. And and Pickens is like, I know it's a run play. You don't. I'm either If I run a route, you're trying to mirror me, but I'm not. I'm just going to take a step off the line and physically abuse you with a little two-handed push. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like the corner's not waiting for that at right. all. There's usually like an unspoken rule, you know, between a corner and a wide receiver that, hey, if this is a run play, you know, you and I aren't really involved. So let's just let's just take it easy, you know? Let's just uh let's just have a break here. And we're not we're not on this play. Is that the fire alarm? It sounded more like, you know, when the smoke alarm's doing its test cycle. Oh, okay. Good. It's just like beep beep and then there was a fire last Monday morning mm. that we had to report on. Yes. All right, not in this on. building, though. George um, Pickens. Yeah, so George Pickens essentially says, I don't care about that because you're not paying attention, and I am. I'm just going to deck you. Yeah. And there's not an awful lot as a corner you can do about that because you kind of have to assume that he's going to run a route at some point. And if he is, 
he's not allowed to do that. So if he's not running a route and decides to just run up and throw you to the ground, you kind of just have to take it. So is it overrated? I used to think Heinz Ward blindsiding people was a little overrated. Well, that's why. So uh, Laquan Treadwell was talked about as one of the best blocking wide receivers come out for years, right? And it was based off a couple of those plays yeah. where he cracked back on somebody and just destroyed them. And you're like, okay, those are those are gimmies. Those are layups and not to mention anything, they're illegal now. Um, that's what people loved about Heinz Ward. Now, Heinz was in that, especially the old Bruce Arians offense, what the Chris Godwin role and what Larry Fitzgerald did. You bring the wide receiver in tight, and mm-hmm. they are legitimately not really a tight end, but they're close. Like, they are legitimately a part of the blocking scheme, and Heinz Ward used to do that. But people thought Heinz Ward was awesome because he would track back all the time. Now, not a lot of receivers want to do that. Heinz was good at it, but I thought, you know, maybe that was overrated. So the Pickens plays that are going to go viral where he just kills a corner on a run play are those overrated because if the corners like they got to start they got to get ready man if it's a run play the dude's coming after you yeah i i, I don't know what pe- are how are people rating them now i mean they're they they're, just, they're just like these viral clips yeah, like george pickens is a bad man or whatever you want to so they go viral yeah. they're memes but like is anybody looking at that and saying wow this is the best blocking wide receiver in the league yeah that's what they? we're doing here on the show. He's the best blocking wide receiver well, in the you league. You are now. But He's like, wide receiver one in this draft class. But is that a thing that's happening? Because if it is, then yes, they're being know. overrated. If it isn't, if people are just using them for memes and being like, ah, that's amazing, then sure. It's not why I brought up George Pickens. But anyway, he's he backed up the camp hype as well. I yeah. mean, he just looks smooth, incredible. The Steelers continue to just draft receivers well. And uh, Pickens, he should be I mean, the number one for the Steelers. Pickens, I think, is different from Dobbs in terms of, at the time, he should have been a, he should have been a first-round draft pick. He has first-round draft pick talent, um, didn't go in the first round, and I'm not 100% sure why. You know, in a, in a receiver draft that was kind of low on that particular skill set, that true number one ex-receiver, guy that can win at all levels skill set, this class, as good as it is, didn't have a ton of that. And Pickens definitely has that. Now, he had a big injury that kind of set back his college career. Um, His overall body of work at college is not the most extensive. So there's a couple of small reasons football-wise for that potential slide outside the first round. I think the bigger thing is there appear to be a lot of people that were concerned by his character and stuff. And if that was a thing, Pittsburgh is a fantastic place to land. Um, So this is a little bit chicken and the egg debate in terms of you know if he go if he goes in the first round he doesn't go to pittsburgh does he therefore flame out because he goes to a team that isn't as good at keeping a guy like that on the straight and narrow you know is going to pittsburgh a necessary part of him realizing that potential but the point is the steelers got a receiver that absolutely had first round talent you know we i don't think there were a ton of people pushing to say romeo dobbs is a first round receiver you know, even the people that liked Romeo Dobbs. You got George Pickens, 90.4 PFF receiving grade, caught both of his con- uh, contested catches, had the touchdown. Impressive outing for him. You've got Danny Gray for the 49ers yes. breaking away for the long touchdown. I know you liked him. Mm-hmm. I just want to remember, we were at the Combine. You and I, um, I think we were at the the party, right? We were at a little, we were a little you know, invite-only party or whatever mm. when the wide receivers we're working out and there was all this buzz like oh there's a 426 and there's a 429 and all this stuff and then uh we yeah. were blaming who's on the stopwatch this year I Mark Ross. Yeah, yeah yeah so that was the that was the so the it's day. combine night right 
receivers are working out and um mark ross is the new guy running the stopwatch for nfl network every receiver's running sub four three or sub four four. four finger yeah so we're blaming mark ross and then a lot of the you know the times got adjusted whatever Mm -hmm. but there was a point where there was buzz like around this this party we were at on the broadcast like this wide receiver class is special they're amazing and then i think that buzz maybe cooled a little bit it was like it's a really good receiver class right six receivers go in the top 18 or 19 picks the nfl's valuing receivers there's a guy like george pickens sky Moore. these guys go in the second round who we thought were first round caliber players and you know maybe it was always going to be this really good receiving class but it looks like i mean it does look like an awesome group of rookie wide receivers even with Traylon burks getting like third string reps doesn't it kind of show how funny that is about um like just how silly that whole process is like my the guy with the stopwatch the official guy you know the nfl with the stopwatch is a little bit early on the trigger finger one day and all of a sudden everyone you know the it just starts to snowball and everyone's like wow this wide receiver class is amazing the speed it's the fastest ever it's gonna be incredible and it's like oh no he just got him wrong oh okay never mind then forget it yeah that's what happened. Which is literally what happened. Like everybody was losing their minds over the speed of this wide receiver class, and therefore, the, therefore, you know, speed equals potential. And then, as soon as it disco- we discovered that actually the new guy with the stopwatch was just a little bit eager, everyone was like, "I ah, know, forget it. Then, never mind. Carry on. We just we lost the run of ourselves for a second there." Um, look, I do think. So the official overreaction is this wide receiver class is going to be awesome. Yeah. Which I, I think is reasonable. Like, Which is true, probably. This is a good wide receiver class. And when you look, you know, at the guys that were taken early in particular, obviously people like Romeo Dobbs, uh, George Pickens, there are lower down wide receiver rookies that looked very good as well. But almost all of the top guys look good. I mean, okay, we didn't necessarily see a ton of all of them. Um, the Traylon Burks thing, we, we kind of criticized the lack of involvement there, but he was also wide the hell open early, and they didn't see him. They didn't throw him the ball. That would have completely changed the narrative on Traylon Burks. Um, Drake uh, London had one catch where he got wide open. You know, nice, really classic Drake London play. He looked fast. Running catch, looked fast, ran away from a guy, and then the the tackle at the end of it jarred his knee, so he sat out the rest of that game. But Really, really quick, I mean, Drake London was the only guy who just didn't run. Yeah. He never got a time on him, and then he ends up being the number one wide receiver pick, number eight overall against the Falcons. One play looked pretty fast. Like he looked, he looked NFL yeah, fast. He looked nev- fine. Never ran, and we were saying like he could easily be a four six guy. Yeah. But what you're seeing is that you know a four six guy might not be able to run away from a, uh, a four two corner deep down the field to get open. But if you get him the ball in his hands running across the field, doesn't mean you're going to chase him down. Right. Which is which is what we saw. Like he was able to get the ball in his hands, long stride, run away from somebody, and wasn't caught. You know for a while. So. He's he looks plenty fast enough to be effective for in the NFL, uh, which is the important thing. So yeah, I think this this wide receiver class looks great. So before we get into another overreaction from you, gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big hairless winning machine, and when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. Don't make that face. That's right, Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet. It's the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. 
by going to manscapes.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. Manscapes' brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscapes' top products. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscapes.com. It's 20% off with free shipping. Manscapes.com. Use the code PFF. It's time you enjoyed the finer things in life and get yourself a Platinum Package for your Platinum Package. Make sure that promo code's working. We did have one person say it didn't it didn't go through. So we gotta make sure hmm. that been, it is available and ready. And if there's any issues, contact uh, customer support over here at PFF. Have you been using the the swag that they send over? I some of it. I've I, got the shirts and the slider short how do we call them? Slide and shorts, you know, the What? Don't they have? Well they're really forget it. Yeah, I've <laughs> Yeah, the swag, you get the bag. I know you're a big bag guy. I had three of them now. Yeah. I, I probably need to get use rid all of them. The, well, I, I, I used two of them, not deliberately. I just seem to have, you know, used two of them. But the third one that I got, but this bundle of swag is now just sitting in the bag. But I did use the, uh, the shampoo and conditioner, which you would, you know, you say that doesn't make any sense. It but doesn't make doesn't make any sense, Sam. To condition the beard. Oh, the beard! I oh. was, see, I was I wanted to know what the stuff was like, you know, in particular what it smelled like. You know, is this a nice shampoo and conditioning smelling stuff? And I was like, well, it doesn't really matter that there's nothing up here to shampoo and condition because there's plenty of you know plenty of beard to shampoo so and how'd condition. That go? It was nice. It smells it smells good. Yeah, yeah. You can make your head smell good too, I guess. You could. I, I mean, it feels like that wouldn't. You know, I don't think that would work that well. Is it color safe? Is it color safe? I'm just, I, I got to see if it's color safe. You know, because if I have to, you know, get rid, of, get rid of some of the salt and the salt and pepper here. Have you not just, I mean, you wouldn't just embrace that and be like, that. not fully it? ready to let, to let it go. No? I don't think. Not to give away anything here. I mean, I haven't, you know, we're going gray over here. We're going yeah. gray. You're going bald. I'm going gray. People I, are watching us age. Gone bald. As we go. I mean, I don't, You've yeah. gone. Yeah. Well, at the point where you shaved it like this, you've gone bald. You, you, there's no going. There's people out there that have been listening to us for 10 years probably. And uh, just... They don't know. Aging with us. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's unnecessary. Now that might... You could argue that's going bald. You know? I am not going bald. I, I, I have always had a widow's peak. You, you are honestly trying to claim... That, that the line that Tyler showed there, now you see that's gone bald, you know, disappeared. Yeah. You are honestly trying to claim that that hairline is exactly the same place it was when we started this podcast way back in the day. That's pretty close. You don't think that it's retreating back across your head like Napoleon's armies? I mean, maybe the same way like a shoreline erodes. Yeah, slowly, exactly the same way. Slowly over time. Yeah, you know the way the shorelines erode and then like those clifftop houses just... I think I'm good till I'm about 70. <laughs> yeah i got 30 more years of okay a lot of hair that's all right that's fine let's see. takes expose. let's see exactly <laughs> let's see how that goes it's overreaction season season all right give me some more preseason overreactions here sam uh baker baker is dialed in he's pissed off he's got a chip on his shoulder he's about to blowtorch the cleveland browns in week one and uh, maybe the rest of the league how did they set up the schedule? Because Russ is going to Seattle week one. How did they set this up? I don't know. All of the iterations. You've got Baker Mayfield facing the Browns. I kind of feel like this time it was just luck. But remember, like, way back in the day, the old commissioner, Burt Bell, used to do 
the schedule himself on his dining room table. Oh, really? Every year. I did not know that. Yeah. And so he had, like, whatever the standard constraints were, that, like, these are the games that have to get played and, you know, blah, blah. And then, like, the other games, it was just, like, him by feel, you know, with with cards, like, on his dining room table. Just being like, oh, that's fun. You know? It feels like in order for this to happen, that's what must have gone on. But I don't think it did. I think we just got lucky, and now we're going to see Baker against the Browns in week one. And, and Russ going to Seattle. Yeah. Is that Monday Night Football, too? I think it's in prime time, the whole Good thing. Baby. Anyway, Baker back and feeling good and ready to go yeah he looked good um i mean that they put up points early he extended some drive had a couple plays on third down that kept the drive going um you know we didn't see a ton of the first team wide receivers with him but robbie anderson was out there for a few plays got one target was 35 yards downfield so again i think we're gonna see baker mayfield try and recapture the robbie anderson deep threat stuff that basically disappeared last season um darnold came in you know, it looked fine, got a touchdown to Rashad Higgins, but I, I think this is a pretty clear declaration that Baker is the number one quarterback there. Matt Corral got the end of the game after P.J. Walker, so the fourth quarterback to play, went one for nine. Technically, I think, led a game-winning drive because there was a couple of, a couple of uh, Washington penalties, but effectively looked like he's not a factor in this quarterback you know, decision. So it's Baker versus Darnold, and Baker looked good. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a good quarterback. He's a good quarterback. He's a good NFL quarterback. He should look good in that. I'll take Maybe. you. Uh, you ready to? Did you go over or under on the Panthers? You ready to go over for sure? I think I went over, didn't I? I don't remember. It's it part of our really ten hours, number. ten hour mega episode. Yeah, coming out on Thursday. No, it's not. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it, but was Sam Darnold? Was he trying to make a statement saying, look, I'm going to throw a touchdown to Rashard Higgins. You thought this was your boy, <laughs> your Baker. Guy. I am going to, you know, establish him for myself. That was that was Darnold's play there. Yeah. We okay. should talk about all the rookie quarterbacks at some point. Maybe all just them. later in the show. We'll talk about all their debuts. Because, yeah, Corral was not, was not great. But, yeah, I mean, look, if Baker Mayfield has one of the two good seasons that he had, 2018 or 2020, low 80s type of grade, um, wasn't without flaw. There weren't ebbs and flows in those seasons that were bad. All that stuff happened. But if he has one of those seasons, the Panthers could be a playoff contender. I don't think they're a bad roster. Remember, this is the this is the importance of a quarterback, right? They don't have a trash roster in Carolina. I don't think they. I don't think with an average quarterback they look like a playoff roster. But if you get above average NFL play, Baker Mayfield's done that before. NFC, I mean, he, the Panthers so, are making a play here. Romeo Dobbs showing up like a true, legit number one wide receiver could save Green Bay's season. And from save the season, what I mean is like this is a team that wants to win a Super Bowl. I genuinely don't think they're capable of winning a Super Bowl if they don't have an above average wide receiver anywhere on the roster. Um, if Romeo Dobbs is that guy, that changes things. They could win a Super Bowl with just that one good receiver and a bunch of other guys. So when I say save the season, I don't mean like they're going to go five and five wins without a receiver, but he might make the difference between being capable of winning a Super Bowl and not. Baker Mayfield could easily save Carolina season and keep Matt Rule in a job and, you know, take this team from looking like one of the, the problem teams in the NFL to actually being a playoff contender and, you know, chasing a wild card spot late in the season, all those kinds of things. Like he can be that transformative. 
by the way we mocked george pickens to the packers a bunch yeah throughout the process what if they just took george pickens instead of but that's what i'm saying like how how important is the pittsburgh destination to george pickens panning out he goes to green bay and it's not the same environment does it look the same I don't yeah, know. It's not like Green Bay's got this. I, I would assume it's a decent environment in Green Bay. I, I think there was a chance they could have had George right. Pickens. Well, look at the Dobbs track record in particular. Like Mike Tomlin kept Antonio Brown on the straight and narrow for like nine years. That man has Knowing got what some we know now, Midas yes, touch true. of being able to no, keep fair. things together. So you got Baker. What's your uh, hot take here? Your overreaction with Baker? Uh, he's going to be a top 10 quarterback. All right. Beautiful. Um, I was at the Bengals game oh, yeah? on Friday night, and um, the O-line was trash. It was not good. Oh. Season's over. Oh. Bengals season's over. Wait, hang on. Who who played? Doesn't matter. Well, no, it does. It was their backups. So it was none of the people they added to the team yeah, to be good. It's like, we're watching the game, and I was just, I was kind of like. In fact, it was last year's offensive line. It was way, I was, it was I like Hakeemad Energy. And yelling out, oh, yeah, Super Bowl, it's all over. Yeah. You know, the uh, the New Englander in me came out. See you next season, Bengals. Because the Maybe third worst pass blocking grade of the week, and it felt like that. You know, sometimes when you're watching the game live, you're not capturing everything. You don't get as many good replays and all that stuff. It felt like poor Brandon Allen and Jake Browning were just under pressure nonstop. And they were, you know, when you go back and saw the film and see the grades and all that stuff. So uh, my overreaction is the Bengals' old line is going to be terrible because the backups were bad in their in their debut. Maybe that's why it's hard to get media access to them is because you're sitting there in the stands being like, "You suck." I was joking. I was teaching my my son. I was teaching Harry how, how to heckle, how to root, how to root for. We we cheered too. Okay, you know, you just react. Uh huh. React. Uh huh. Right. Yeah, I um, didn't really do that. I would never trash the the Bengals. Effectively, what you were watching was last year's offensive line, which is why we're over here overreacting. Yeah, Hakeem Adeniji. Joe's knee's not going to hold up. Joe's going to get killed again. In the preseason, Hakeem Adeniji is coming out of here with a 25 grade on 47 snaps, which is actually a reasonably representative number. Uh, Jackson Carmen with a pass blocking grade of 19. Yeah. Yeah, it was rough. And there's a reason they went and added three offensive linemen in the, uh, the offseason. Yeah. Realistically, the real offensive line for the Bengals should be much better. But it was, it was an ugly debut. The Cardinals looked pretty good. Though it does yeah. show you how potentially problematic it is if they get any injuries at any point. You know, yeah. Because they've got to turn to the guys that were in there last year. I would say, I mean, we always talk about waiver wire and roster cuts. And, and there, there, there were always some teams that have surplus, right? I mean, there not were even always cuts. Some... Like we're seeing there's people still out there. Like, True. You know, um, there Mackay, might be some more depth to look into. Mackay Becton goes down, and whether or not they're going to sign him anyway, the, the the Jets pick up Dwayne Brown, who, okay, coming off the worst season of his career, or not, worst season since his rookie year, was still like a seventy-five grade. Right. Like Dwayne, if he stays at that level, he's still a perfectly good offensive lineman who is better than a bunch of these problem spots, and he's not so old that you're like, there's no chance he bounces back. Right. Like we've just seen Andrew Whitworth playing well at forty. We're seeing Jason, like Jason Peters last year played pretty well at 40. Um, Dwayne Brown could easily bounce back and have a better year than his last season, in which case he's a steal. Um, who just picked up Riley Reef recently? Like, there are players out there that are still decent starting caliber offensive linemen. J.C. Treader is still available at center. We were thinking that was an automatic move for the Bucks 
if Robert Hainsey's injury was bad when he got carted off. Still could be a move for the Bucs, sure. depending on what they do. J.C. Treader is still out there, arguably, you know, a, a top 10 center in the NFL. Like, there are players out there still available to pick up as veterans and completely transform problem areas in the offensive line. All right, so Bengals O-line, overreaction. What do you have? What other overreactions do you have from week one? Uh, well, the Eagles are probably going to the Super Bowl. I mean, Jalen Hurts was basically perfect in his opening drive. Uh, Jordan Davis looked like a monster. The Kobe Dean was dominant behind Jordan Davis. You know, the, the Georgia connection still worked. Uh, everything was good. My favorite part of preseason week one, it's seeing the rookies. Except they lost, but, you know, that, happened, that happened later. doesn't matter. No, no. That was, that was after the fact. I like seeing the rookies. I like to see how they look. How they look in their uniform. I like the uh, the eye test, right? Who did you mention that looked Ray Ray McLeod? Body type wise, right? Like things things just look different from college. They are small, skinny. It's weird. I don't understand it, but the specific uniforms can have certain effects on players' body types visually. Ray Ray McLeod looks to have a different body type in a 49ers uniform than he did in a Steelers uniform. And I have no rational explanation for how that works or what happens or what is going on. But he looks longer. He doesn't like he doesn't look like if you put the two people next to each other, I wouldn't say they're the same person. But they are. It I don't get it. How that happens sometimes. My point was uh, Nicobe Dean looked looked as small as advertised, right? Didn't he look small? But he was also as good yeah. as advertised, right? He was Flying around, moving quick, making plays in the backfield, jacking up offensive linemen. It was awesome watching Dean. Jordan Davis uh, missed a tackle in the backfield, but he was doing his usual. He was two gapping and, you know, you know, uh, two gap in the center on one play. He was the guy chasing down Zach Wilson when Zach Wilson's knee went. Yeah. It was um, rookie um, Max Mitchell, too, who we kind of liked coming out the right tackle that blew the first block that made Wilson uh, scramble out of the pocket. The uh, Zach Wilson knee injury is another thing we we we, we can't discuss, but Bullet the dodge. Eagles just um, Cam Jurgens looked really good, the rookie second round center. So like good all for of him, by the, the rookie Eagles players looked really good. Good for Jurgens because so far the only thing anyone had seen from him really was him getting walked back by Jordan Davis in that one viral clip. I will say though, our friend Mitchell Schwartz stepped up and said, "Not that bad." Also it went viral, but the dude. You know, the ball's going to, like, the, uh, Jordan Davis didn't get to the top of the pocket in that viral clip until about three seconds, three and a half seconds. And also, you know, Davis came out and defended him in a, like, he was asked yeah. about the clip in a in a press conference. And he was like, I, I hate that that went viral because, you know, he's more than held his own through training camp. Like, he's got me on plenty of reps as well. Yeah. And, like, he doesn't deserve that. Like, okay, even even if that was a lie, it's a great answer because that's, that's yeah. being a great teammate. I will say the the slow pushback. I think there is value in that, right? It, it wasn't that it was that slow, but you went. The the Eagles want Jordan Davis. That was a win in the Vince Wilfork mold of winning, which is right. I'm going to take you. You want to pop that gap? I so outweigh you, you by hundred pounds. Yeah. We are moving backwards. Right. How long it takes to move backwards is a different matter. And then for it to be an effect, it, I, I still think it was. It was I still th- I would consider it a win for Jordan Davis because there are enough plays in the NFL. Yeah where the quarterback doesn't have his first read open. Right. And you you're go taking to a, away, and, and as soon as you go to a second read, you've got a dude in your face. You're taking away the step up in the pocket, if nothing yes. else. Now, that doesn't mean – there are definitely scenarios in which that won't matter because the quarterback's got somewhere else to go. But you are – you're doing what that guy is supposed to do, which is you know, eliminate that area of the pocket. I will just say – let me just piggyback on your overreaction that the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl or whatever. Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker, the two – 
athletic, incredible athletic specimen from from Georgia, both of those guys, mm-hmm. who had production questions. You know, Jordan Davis never played over 450 snaps. Trayvon Walker was never really a dominant pass rusher. Both guys look like they're going to be effective NFL players so far. I mean, the overreaction. Both guys, they're, they're hits, right? They're awesome. The athletic <laughs> freaks. Are, let me just do this the right way. Yeah, yeah. Trayvon Walker and Jordan Davis. To camera, please. Are awesome. They're going to be two of the best players in the draft class. They're, they, it doesn't matter what their college production was. They're, they're going to do it at the NFL level. They both look great. Mm-hmm. How's that? Very great. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, Zach Wilson dodged a bullet with the knee thing. It looked very much like he popped an ACL. I didn't think it looked that bad. He didn't look that hurt. So I mean, what do we got? A meniscus tear and a bone bruise. Yeah, week Which is one's not in insignificant. Uh, yeah, I would. Ima- I don't think he's playing week one with yeah, that. It's probably Flacco's team here. The live chat has sounded off on whether I can throw a baseball sixty miles an hour. Fifty-seven percent of people say no way. A lot of no ways. Forty-two percent of people say yes. I mean, obviously the forty-two percent are right. No, I think the majority's right here. No, I believe the majority is correct here. I don't think that's true at all. Uh, anyway, if y- if the Jets, if Zach Wilson had blown his knee and the Jets were the next team to trade for, they, they're like, the Jimmy Garoppolo fit just makes right. so much sense. Would right? Still might make sense. Who knows? But Jimmy Garoppolo, same scheme, old coaches there and all that stuff. Would the Jets all of a sudden be like a contender? No. Because you've got a Zach Wilson. Jack, Zach Stop. could be good, but it's a question mark. If you've got Jimmy Garoppolo to that Good offensive line, same system, good group of receivers and tight ends. We spent all offseason talking up all their roster moves. Doesn't that feel different? It only It is different. It's not like the difference between where they are. No, stop yes. it. They're in a division with the Bills. I'm not saying they're winning the division. Like they're competing for a wild card spot. They're maybe, maybe in the playoff hunt. In the hunt. In the AFC. Like, remember what, the, what conference this yeah, is. Yeah, I'm not saying they're winning the Super Bowl. I am saying Jimmy You're Garoppolo. You're saying they're a contender. That's win. what a contender is. A contender for a playoff spot. You mean, are they on the in-the-hunt graphic in, like, week 16 and 17? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But if they are, it's like And now that. they could be, but we don't. But Zach Wilson's got to play a lot better. And by the way, before he got hurt, man, he threw a bad— He just threw an interception right to yeah. Kaiser White. He didn't look good. Um, that I mean, so— it's a really weird dynamic because if if his knee was gone, if the ACL was gone, which it isn't, um, and they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo, because so you're sort of like, well, okay, if you lose Wilson for the season, what do you do? You're the Jets. Do you trade for Garoppolo, which makes so much sense, or do you sort of sacrifice the year? And, you know, whoever's on the roster, that's our backup. Let's go. Joe Flacco season, Mike White season. What we're do- That's what we're doing here. Um, if they'd done that and they'd stank, and they were in position to draft a quarterback at the top of the draft, I you probably can't turn one down for Zach Wilson based off what you'd seen, which is yeah. one terrible year and then an ACL injury. Um, on the other hand, if they bring in Garoppolo, that's probably a one-season thing, and he keeps them good enough that they stay out of quarterback contention so Wilson gets like another shot at it. Um, now you're in a position where Wilson gets hurt. It's not catastrophic. He'll probably miss a little bit of time to start the year, and then he's under big pressure right away to come in and be good off the back of a knee injury. Tough. I mean, it's, it's just, I, as much as they've done a great job building around him, like this, the, the situation that Zach, that Zach Wilson is in is not fun yet. Yeah. I mean, I hope he comes back. I really just want to see him play and see if he can develop. You know, again, the handful of throws the other day, a handful of plays, but still didn't look great right off the bat. But last year he looked awesome in the preseason, so maybe he's going to flip that script. 
All right, we'll have a couple more over reactions. But first, football fans, join the next generation of fantasy football with Rainmakers Football, the first ever NFT fantasy game from DraftKings. It's the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. Now you can play all season for millions of prizes by building the, the ultimate NFT franchise. Right now, everyone can get their first full roster starter pack for free. Playing Rainmakers is simple. You buy, sell, bid, and win player card NFTs of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions at Mar DraftKings Marketplace. Craft lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and earn points for touchdowns, receptions, and more, just like daily fantasy football. Build your NFT franchise and enter free Rainmakers football contests all season long to compete for millions in prizes. The next generation of fantasy sports is here. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now. Sign up with promo code PFF. Click the Rainmakers title tile and opt in to get your first card for free. Plus, play for millions in prizes all football season while building the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers Football. It's promo code PFF. Build, play, win only at DraftKings. Contest entries dependent on type and number of NFTs held. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Any other overreactions we have here? Oh, I got it. It's my turn. Sure. Chiefs are going back in time. The Chiefs offense. I formation. They're running with a fullback. The Chiefs are going old school offense, man. I don't know what the overreaction is other than we saw a completely different looking offense from the Chiefs. They're going fullback, play action, over routes to Travis Kelsey. They're going 21 personnel. That's two backs, one tight end, two wide receivers. Whole new Chiefs offense. Forget the spread and pass first. It's going to be a run first, I formation Chiefs offense. They're going to replace Tyreek Hill with a fullback. See how it goes. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Okay. Um, also, the uh, the Isaiah Pacheco hype continued. Oh, he dude, looked he, good. He, uh, what was he? Had like a sweet juke in the flat or yeah. whatever it was. He looked good. Yeah, yeah. Playing with Mahomes, too. Right. That's what the... Um, and they, the fact that they sort of shut him down very early, you know, with the starters kind of thing, says... I mean, seventh round running back out of Rutgers. He's going to feature in that offense. Yeah. And, and you know, what the fantasy folks do here to try to, like, predict... Who's making the roster? Who's getting time and all that stuff? Do you play with the ones? Do you play? Right. You got time, Pacheco, with Patrick Mahomes. And mm -hmm. this is a team that has a former first-round pick, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. They brought in Ronald Jones this offseason. They have Jarek McKinnon. Those are decent. I mean, those are good options at running back. So for Pacheco to be, even have those kinds of opportunities, um, he's wearing number 10 too, right? Yeah. He's the Tyreek Hill he's replacement. He's the Tyreek Hill replacement. You know, he's 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 good in space. They'll they'll give him some of those gimmick plays. There were a few running backs that kind of caught the eye in that sort of uh, scenario. Um, Damian Pierce for yep. the Texans. Continue again, another guy that's been getting some decent hype, and that Houston Texans backfield has been a nightmare to try and pin down what that's going to look like. But Pierce is a guy that could absolutely feature in a significant way there. Uh, who else showed pretty Rashad well? Rashad White for the Bucks. Running back from Arizona State came out. Of, uh, he did a nice job catching the ball out of the backfield as well. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr., the Alabama running back that's now in Washington. The grade won't be great, but more importantly for him, um, Antonio Gibson fumbled really early. Yeah. So Robinson immediately got a bigger workload than I think he was going to get in that game. And, you know, had some reasonable production, looked okay. I think he's going to end up challenging that starting job if for no other reason than Gibson's, you know, they're sort of losing faith with him as opposed to, Robinson looking amazing. So there's a lot of these young backs actually they're they're sort of continuing their shot of looking decent. All right. So Chiefs going old school. I formation, two back, whole new offense for Mahomes and Andy Reid. 
what else do we want to overreact to? Uh, we did, uh, this is not an overreaction, but we broke down the Kenny Pickett debut in the NFL Daily. So go listen to that. Um, yeah. But the, the short version, the short version of the short version is he got rid of the ball quickly. Like yeah. this, the biggest concern anybody had from Kenny Pickett is can he play at the NFL speed given the process that he had in college? And he did now. There's still a world between what he was asked to do in that preseason game and what he's going to have to do in the in the regular season. But again, first hurdle cleared. If you're not already downloading and subscribing to the PFF NFL Daily every single day, five days a week, it's Sam and Steve, the 10-minute-ish version, right? We'll take a topic. We'll break it down for 10 minutes. It's more quick hitting. It's not as you know, long and drawn out is this podcast that you like to listen to. So be sure to subscribe. Is that long and drawn out? I mean... Uh, as uh, yeah. thorough yeah. and uh, fun. Comprehensive. And, and comprehensive. Mm. There we go. Not as comprehensive of the, as the PFF NFL podcast, but the Daily is a great quick listen. So go check that out as we break down Kenny Pickett and his debut. Yeah, my, my short piece on that is I think we're going to see Kenny Pickett sooner rather than later. I thought there might be a scenario where we don't see him for a long time. But now I think that's accelerated based off of one preseason game. Nice. Oh, so here's a fun game. Um, I was thinking about the, during week one, preseason is amazing for, wow, that guy is still playing in the NFL. Yes. You know, that guy's still cashing NFL paychecks this number of years later after. <laughs> Give me one of those. So who's who jumps out from that description? Who is the first player that you think of from this week that you saw? You're like, wow, that guy's still in the NFL. Oh, I can't. There were there was. So that happened a few times. I can't yeah. remember who the names were. Actually. I got a couple of good ones. You I've got uh, Willie Beavers yes. is always one. And popped Willie popped up with a 90 grade. Yeah, Willie's 37 snaps. Nobody, I don't know if anybody remembers our Willie Beavers. Willie history, Beavers but. was drafted in the fourth round of the 2016 draft. His NFL career is now 618 snaps of preseason. And in the preseason previously, Preseason, remember, like this, the lowest bar to clear of can you survive at the NFL level. This fourth round pick that a lot of people like for his, you know, abilities, uh, we did not. His preseason grades so far have been 49, 61, 61, 44, 51, and then boom, Washington, year seven breakout with a 90.3. There is something too. I actually did this with Garoppolo one time. He had like there was a point where he had probably as many preseason snaps as regular season because I would imagine so much. Beavers has significantly more at this point. I mean, there's there's definitely a point where we're getting like that's almost a that's almost a season's worth of data on Willie Beavers yeah, across there. his career. How many for teams? A how many teams do you think Willie Beavers has been on so far? Oh, he's on the Josh Johnson train here. He's like eight. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine teams for Willie Beavers. And you know the you know in, in nine years, <laughs> you know in like Wikipedia they have the little asterisk that's like off season and or practice squad member only. Yeah. Uh, all but one of no, all but two of those teams are that. And the only reason one of them isn't is because it's the Dallas Renegades who were uh, good for Willie. Who are they? An XFL team. No hate here. You know, keep cash and paychecks. Uh, Josh Johnson has to be the other. Who was he with this weekend? Denver? I don't even know who he's playing he's, for now. He's uh, team 16, 17, 18. I mean, it's, oh, he's a lot. it's insane. Yeah. I think it was um, Denver. Another guy, the wow, he's still in the NFL. Devin Funches is back. He's playing tight end. Tight end. Yeah. And uh, scored a touchdown. Nice. Playing wide receiver, but, you know. I mean, I, you should Devin Funches. That size. Was, an I think, an opt-out in the COVID year. And then just 
I think just got cut last year and just After was not signed injured, by anybody. Yeah, he was injured in yeah, 2019. Yeah. But then was an opt-out, I think, in the COVID year. And then last year, I think, just didn't get just got cut and didn't get picked up by anybody. And now he's back technically playing tight end and scoring touchdowns in the preseason. Who else do you have for do you have any other? Those are only two that jumped out, but there was a bunch of them all throughout the week. That yeah, I mean, I, there was a lot that I just kind of like said in my head, like, oh, I haven't heard your name in a while. Who else do we have? But it is amazing that like how, you know, we talk about with, a, you know, Tease Tabor is still in the NFL somehow playing safety now, I think. Um, it is like you talk all the time about how it's very hard to get booted out of the league if you're like a former first round pick or whatever. Oh, yeah. But at least in terms of preseason. It's actually quite hard to get booted out of the league permanently, generally. You know, you may never, your time featuring in real games may be over, but you'll get picked up every year for a training camp spot. You need, yeah, I mean, they, they need a lot of bodies here. They need people to practice and well, play. And, and particularly when people are not playing starters in preseason anymore. Like, you literally need bodies to just go out there and take a beating in 200 fake snaps so that we can all get to the real football. Come on, don't, don't downplay that. What? Yeah, people got to take the snaps. I'm not damn. I'm just saying that's a real thing in a way that it didn't used to be. Like you posted that clip of uh, preseason to, you know, yeah. and somebody else was somebody. I, the Hall of Fame maybe posted a clip of like Tony Baselli's rookie season. You know, it was the Hall of Fame game that year, and the commentary was like lamenting that we weren't going to see Tony Baselli because he was injured. Yeah, yeah. But everybody, like Mark Brunel, was out there. The Hall of Fame game. Well, Brunel was fighting for a job. That, yeah, but yeah, Hall of Fame game. Everybody played. But like, the yeah, two starters all the played. starters yeah. right there. They're saying, oh, it's a bummer. We're not going to get to see Tony Buscelli. Like, if the Hall of Fame game now, those guys aren't going anywhere near the field. Not Admittedly, you know, Trayvon Walker did feature. But, you know, the, most of the time, starters are not going anywhere near these preseason games to the d- degree they used to be. And, like, there's a reason that we're shrinking down the number of preseason games because we're not treating them the same. The, the way we used to. All right. Do you want to get into some of the rookie debuts, or do you have any other hot takes or overreactions? Uh, what else did I have? Uh, they, well, same thing. It's hot take, and it's all in one. But Desmond Ritter is the sort of next player up, I think, to talk about. Falcons quarterback, the the rookie. Um, some good, some bad, but I think more good than bad. Well, he was another one of those players that has, you know, sometimes you have these games where the grade and the box score might actually end up telling an accurate story, but in a way that shouldn't happen. Like, yeah. every play doesn't match up with what happened. So Desmond Ritter had a play where tossed the ball straight to the defense, and it didn't get counted because it got negated by a really bad roughing the passer penalty. And the roughing was after the throw. It didn't affect the throw, really. No, it was after the throw. And it was, it was, it was, it was a guy late, getting pushed into him. Yeah, it was by late. By his own player. Sorry to interrupt. But it was late and way inside on a deep out. Big no-no yeah. in the NFL. Pick six potential. Right. Out Terrible of so interception. Didn't count. Terrible interception negated by a play that was that was pretty dodgy as a call and didn't affect the throw anyway. So really bad play. Doesn't show up as an interception. But then he also had a bunch of really nice plays that were dropped. So it's kind of ending up where the box score is sort of doing the right job, but, but every single play is not representing what it should on an individual level. Um, but generally... I mean, he showed that he was able to, you know, take command, execute the offense, deliver the ball, generally to the right area, had the really bad mistake, was athletic, was able to get around and move. Um, and look, Marcus Mariota looked good in his first drive as well, but yeah. 
good touch from Ritter. I thought, you know, he had some he had some good throws. Yeah, but in in this world of like, you know, how soon are we going to see any of these rookies? And like, sure, Marcus Mariota is going to be the starter on merit, but I think Ritter is looking like like he can get on the field at some point. It is always fun watching the preseason just from like a schematic standpoint. You just see, you usually see the most basic concepts. I feel like every drive starts with a little boot action, getting the quarterback out. Like every single quarterback gets those plays, the little gimmies and stuff like that. Um, Ritter had a bunch of those, but they were rolling them left a bunch of times as well. You don't always see that for a right-handed quarterback. He was rolling left, making some throws there. So um, I think it was a good, good debut for Desmond Ritter, the former University of Cincinnati quarterback. And then uh, Deshaun Watson did play football mm. for the Cleveland Browns. I was on uh, Ari Mayrov's show, uh, our friend at PFF here, and he was saying the NFL was really hoping to get that yeah. one-year suspension in time before the preseason. Because if you're suspended for games, certain a number of games, you could play in the preseason. If you're suspended for a whole year, it's it. Whole season's done. Obviously, that appeal did not go through in time, so Deshaun Watson played – but there's still a chance he's going to get suspended for the entire season, and then we'll just not see him till next year. Yeah. Um, but he played football for the Browns. Yeah, Florio was talking about that before that game on that day, that the, he was saying there's a chance that appeal ruling comes down, you know, in a couple of hours before that game because of that reason, so they can essentially prevent him playing football uh, at any point during the year. Didn't happen, so he did go out there. Didn't look good. Yeah, you know they were. I had on. I had on the NFL show, and they had uh, Willie McGinnis was one of them. I forget it. it might have been Thomas Davis was the other guy there. Rusty was the word they were using. It's like I mean, yeah, that's. I guess that's one. Yeah, one way of describing it. He went one for five on his drive for seven yards. They didn't go anywhere, and that was it. Yeah, you can't really glean much from. He was getting heckled five from the uh, from the stands. You know, if, yeah. I if he does play this year. That's going to be a thing. You know, they're going to get he's he personally and the Browns generally are not going to be feeling, I think, a whole lot of uh, love from the stands, particularly on, on road oh, yeah. games. I, I, are there any other players historically in the NFL that would have that sort of negative reaction everywhere they go? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I try to sort of cast my mind back to what it was like, you know, right after the Roethlisberger thing. I don't think it had that. I don't think it was that as as bad as what we're talking about here. No, I mean, as far as connotation and what people, yeah, I'm sure Ben's boot. I mean, the opposing quarterback's boot in every stadium, sure. and this and that, like all that stuff is is true. I mean, I think it's going to be loud, yeah, against Deshaun Watson wherever he goes. Anyway. And this was, um, you know, this one was against Jacksonville in Jacksonville. It's not the most, you know, intense and vociferous crowd you're going to find. So when when they face different teams you know, with already hostile environments and that's the kind of ammunition they've got to work with. Like that's gonna be a that's not gonna be a fun play fun environment for the rest of that offense. All right, let's get to the rest of the rookie debuts. Um do you want to discuss the few quarterbacks, Malik Willis, Sam Howell, some of the guys we haven't talked about or just best debuts? What do you wanna uh, yeah, let's do Willis. Gotta explain Trevor Penning's grade, some questions about that. I'll do my best. Let's let's do the the Malik Willis thing. So Malik Willis, this is one of those if you just if you just watch through Twitter, mm-hmm. you will think Malik Willis is uh, Thick Vic, as I call him. Thick Vic. Thick Vic. You see number seven running around and he looks fast. I'd but prefer to be Thick Vic than Thick Case Keenum. 
True, you don't want to beat that Case Keenum. Um, but yeah, I mean, Malik Willis, uh, his first touchdown, he rolls right, breaks out of uh, Kyle Hamilton tackle in the backfield, breaks out, gets to the end zone for a touchdown. Willis looked like an incredible runner, much like he did at Liberty. Also showed the deep ball. I mean, velocity is easy, right? The ball just f- jumps out of Malik Willis's hand. This was like, remember early career Josh Allen? We would say this was the full Josh Allen experience, right? You've got great throws. You've got poor decisions. You have easy misses. You have a great run. It's kind of Malik Willis right now. And I've made Josh Allen, Malik Willis comparisons with their special throws. Like Malik Willis makes throws that you kind of only see from a Josh Allen. Some of the on-the-run stuff, the the velocity on the ball, the, you know, just, just some of the special that he's capable of. But then Malik Willis gets benched on a play where he scrambled for 17 yards because it's an RPO. I think it was an RPO, not play action, right? He comes out, he doesn't, he doesn't hit the open receiver who's open, doesn't throw it on time, and then makes a spectacular run out of that. But Mike Vrabel is thinking, process first, man. If you're going to win in the NFL, you got to make that throw. So he takes him out of the game because he didn't make the throw. But um, Willis had some of those plays where he held the ball for four and a half seconds per drop back, didn't throw the ball on time all the time, made some spectacular plays, missed some easy ones. We really got to see a lot in his debut. Yeah, that was kind of the, um, like, everybody's take on Malik Willis before the draft was was right in that one in that one brief yeah. period of preseason, regardless of what the take was. Like, we saw the full spectrum of everything he brings to the table, good and bad. And I think he was the guy that missed the wide open uh, Traylon Burks yeah. downfield that would have been, you know, could have been a bomb. But, yeah, the the what we saw, I think, was an example of, like what he can bring to the table is just, it's fun. I mean, it's for sure. Absolutely. He's so far from a complete quarterback at this point, And yet he's still dangerous and productive. Like, so what did you think of him getting benched? So to speak, because Vrabel said, you know, we, he didn't throw the ball. So I wanted him to throw it, took him out. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay with that. Like, yeah. what, you know, this fine. I believe. So my two points on that would be, I believe in the process part of it, right? Is teaching the right process. And uh, over time, you're going to be better for it, right? If you if you do things the right way and hit the open throw when it's there. On the other hand, we talk about like uh, offensive tackles, right? When they lose, how they well, how well they recover, right? Like, oh, you got bowled back a little bit, but you got good feet to recover, or hand usage to recover or whatever it is. There's something about a Malik Willis where, okay, you didn't hit the open throw, and I'm not saying you can do this every time, but he turned it into a 17-yard gain. There is something, too, when you don't – this is where we always talk about the run game elevating the floor of an offense. If you're not always throwing on time or you do have an accuracy issue or whatever it is and you're going to miss some throws, you can offset that with special athleticism and a, a scramble here and there to offset things. There, there's something to that with a Malik Willis, which is, which is intriguing. Guys that can do it in an unconventional way but still you know, have some success. Yeah, so his, his – grade on first read plays was 72 76 as a passer um his grade on anything else anything beyond his first read was down at 47 now look at you including good data including the scramble stuff so including plays where he managed to fix it with something good um but that's the kind of player he is right now it looked when you watched him play it was like this is one read and then run and make something happen and look sometimes he did and that's fine um, and he's got the kind of arm where the one read can be a bomb and make a huge play happen. And so, you know, he Ryan Tannehill is good enough that Malik Willis should be a long way from seeing the field. 
But if, say, Tannehill gets injured or something and Malik Willis gets thrown out there, it's going to have to be a completely different offense, but it could still function. Like his rushing threat, and we saw that with his touchdown, right, at the run that he had where he – was that a design play or did he just butcher something and turn it into a touchdown? It was designed design weird looking. It was a weird-looking play. I don't know why he aborted. But his ability to, like, run in, you know, just to make runs like that happen and, and make the kind of cuts and power through people, like, he's he's a really good rushing threat and with an arm. Like, he's – I think he's a great example now of the kind of quarterback that a lot of people unfairly label athletic quarterbacks as, you know, as this one-read athletic guy that, you know, is all gonna all about the rushing and blah, blah. Right, like, that's not Lamar Jackson. Right, it's, it's the sort that. of – He's the trope. He's yeah. the, the classical stereotype of what that quarterback, of what people say all those quarterbacks are. And I don't just, you know, by those quarterbacks, I don't mean black quarterbacks. I mean all athletic but limited pass, uh, athletic quarterbacks generally. So Josh Allen got this as well. Um, but that's the quarterback that people talk about is incredible athlete, real rushing threat, usually has a cannon for an arm. But it right now certainly is very limited in terms of what he's doing from a full field read, from a working through progression standpoint, he's not doing that right now. Yeah. But he's so good at the other stuff that he can kind of get away with it for, you know, to a to an extent. Now, as I said, you're not going to put him in there ahead of Ryan Tannehill. No. But, like, he'd be... So, if you put Malik Willis on the Seahawks... Like, I we, mean, like we were considering in the draft. Sure. Nine overall, right? Exactly. Like... He's not going to beat out Ryan Tannehill for a job, but against Geno Smith and Drew Locke, which guy would you want to put on the field in week one if you're the Seahawks? Honestly, even even with what he's doing right now in terms of, like, it's one read and run, I mean, it's still maybe a higher upside. Well, then the question is, if you want him to maximize his potential, you want him to work to multiple reads, right? Sure, you want him to do better. But exactly wh- why where do you Where do you learn that? Right. Do you learn that better on the bench? Do you learn that better in game action? It's a fair question. Well, that's the the thing is in today's NFL, like I I forget what the game was, but they were saying, you know, we're preseason week one, and whichever team they were talking about, they've had seven padded practices. Yeah, seven pat practices in so far by preseason week one where they've had pads on, like full pads. That's insane. Like I mean, it's not insane. You know, this is just the way of the world now. Like, that's how teams are... Used to are, be two-a-days. Exactly. Pads, right? For weeks at a time. Yeah. That's how teams are restricted to now. That's how teams are dealing with this world of the new CBA and limited contact and all these kinds of things. So if you have a quarterback like Malik Willis, who has incredible potential, um, but is this far away and is, is this different from a sort of prototypical NFL quarterback right now, do you even have the environment for that guy to get from where he is to where he needs to go without just throwing him out there and saying you need to learn on the job. Because one, because he's probably never getting that shot because Ryan Tannehill's there. So unless Tannehill like breaks a hip. Unless there's injuries, yeah. Right. Unless Tannehill gets injured, gets shut down for whatever reason, you're never going to reach a point where Malik Willis earns, quote unquote, that chance to go out there and learn on the job. So preseason may be his only shot to learn that. He's not, they don't have enough practice time to dedicate to him getting better, you know, with those reps. So I, quarterbacks are in this really tough situation now where I don't know how you develop a flawed but talented quarterback from the bench anymore. 
I don't. I literally I'm trying to don't think know. off the top of my head. Is Jimmy Garoppolo the last guy who sat for multiple years and then became a starter? For multiple years. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was drafted in 2014. He started two games in 16 and then got traded in 2017, started six games. So by the time he became a full-time starter, he had eight starts under his belt, eight or nine starts for Jimmy Garoppolo after years of, you know, a few years of sit- sitting on the bench and basically just playing in the preseason. Hmm. You know, Jalen Hurts had one year basically, but he, he started as a, late in his rookie season. Jordan Love is going to be the next test case, right? And he was up and down. Yeah. He's in year three right now. He's the next test case, right, of a guy that's literally sitting behind with no shot of playing unless there's, you know, an injury or whatever and has to develop during I mean, the preseason. I think that's a question. I mean, NFL teams maybe need to ask it, but I actually think those quarterbacks personally need to ask themselves that question, which is, how do I get from where I am to where I need to be in the current environment? Because I'm honestly not sure the NFL is set up to do it anymore. And we talk all the time about who's responsible for Josh Allen, you know, Josh Allen becoming what he became from where he started, because that's a similar development arc of wildly inaccurate scattergun approach, you know, needed to go a long way from where he started to where he ended up. Yep. And do you credit Brian Dayball? Do you credit Josh Allen himself? Do you credit the quarterback coach do you credit the personal you know independent guy is it jordan palmer is his... jordan palmer so worked with like, yep. who do you credit for that and it's probably a combination of all of it but if you're a malik willis or a quarterback like that that is you know clearly has the tools to be a starting quarterback but is a long way from the stuff that he needs to be doing i mean he needs to be saying to himself i don't know if i I'm in the environment where that's possible just by being a backup in an NFL team. I need to find the Jordan Palmer or whoever it is. I need to find that guy and dedicate like every other minute of my life to seeing if that guy can bridge that gap because I don't think the NFL will get you there just by being there anymore. Go to NFL Europe, man. Yeah. Need need NFL Europe. That's why I keep saying, I think one of these spring leagues, you know, one of these leagues that keeps coming up needs to survive for that to happen because there's no it'd be intriguing to see these leagues the xfl usfl if one of those leagues became a place where a team can send five players yeah and i don't think the nfl wants to do that they probably don't but that would make i think that would make the league more fun so now the xfl or usfl is a combination of street street free agents plus and i think the last few leagues the last few leagues have understood that you need to, you know you the last thing you want to do is be adversarial with the NFL you want to be as close with them as possible and this was like the AAF was the first to to get really tight with the NFL and obviously they they bombed financially but they were doing a lot of smart things in terms of like cozying up to the league and trying to make that as sort of as beneficial mutually beneficial as possible i think both the XFL and the USFL are doing a decent job of that as well but you're right like they the league needs NFL Europe was great but the, for the NFL but here's why they in every way other than financially. Yeah, but the, the NFL won't do it. The, the only reason why we're in this spot where quarterbacks can't develop for the NFL is because they're trying to cut down on practice reps and full contact reps. And, and because the but NFLPA has, has uh, focused on health. Player safety. Right? Player safety. And so you're not going to just throw your guys into like, oh, yeah, go play another eight-game schedule or whatever it is. That's, so, yeah. I mean, that is why they're not going to do it. Right, but it's also why, you know, as long as you can keep enough distance where that doesn't become a problem, you can you can de facto create that situation. All right, what the other... U- the 
NFL Europe was great because there was that official, you know, you just go send them out there. Um, now you might end up seeing a world where it just becomes, you know, that on the side. It's not contractually done, but you go out there, Malik. You know, I don't, maybe it gets worked into the system where you, it just doesn't violate any contract, you know. In your offseason, you go play in the USFL or go play in the, uh, well, that the XFL. Happen. Um, because the end, like, Unless the NFL figures out a way of getting guys like Malik Willis playing time, I'm not sure we're ever going to see those guys develop the way they potentially used to be able to. We had uh, Matt Corral went one for nine in a comeback attempt thanks to a roughing the passer. Corral did not look too good. comeback attempt, sir. Successful comeback attempt. That's a game-winning drive you're looking at right there. You were impressed with Sam Howell. I was not. Certainly. Well, Washington quarterback, fifth rounder. Sam Howe, I don't understand how his I don't understand how he's so successful as he is running the ball. Yeah, and it's it's because he spent two years at North Carolina as a good pocket passer, right? He was he was very good as a true freshman. He was throwing the ball all over the place. He had good receivers too. And then last year with North Carolina, we talked about this during the draft process. Passing, not great, was not good in the pocket, was holding the ball too long, less accurate, but he was running like a fullback. He was running like crazy, and they were running the offense through Sam Howell, the runner. And I thought week one with the commanders looked the same. He was, we talk about Kenny Pickett processing and getting rid of the ball. Sam Howell was slow. I mean, he was patting the ball every single drop back, basically. He had two turnover-worthy plays where he's essentially staring things down and throwing it into coverage or double coverage. Not great. But he also breaks free. What, a 22-yard touchdown or whatever it was? Just he was elusive in the pocket, breaks free, has a nice uh, touchdown scramble as well. Mm -hmm. So talk talk um yeah they they, i (coughs) because everybody's joking's coming back i see because everybody is expecting some kind of carson wentz meltdown at some point i again in the the spectrum of does he have a chance to see the field at any point i think you're expecting a carson wentz meltdown yeah just realistically is carson wentz going to be worse than taylor heineke last year no over over a season yeah but over a three-game stretch maybe Oh, yeah, sure. And if there's one of those three-game stretches, because this is like, this was the, the Fitzpatrick conversation beforehand, right? You're going to get like a couple of games where Fitzpatrick goes out there and throws like a 90 grade, but then you're going to get a three-game stretch where he goes 42, 37, and 25. And at the end of that three-game stretch, do you have the intestinal fortitude to say, no, 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 we're going to come back up and we're going to average out at 70, and that's what we need? Because it would have been very easy. It would have been hard for the head coach at that point to go, no, we're sticking with Fitz. You know, particularly, you know, rewind a bit and you're coming off the season where Taylor Heineke almost takes it to Tom Brady in the playoffs. And then, like, if they'd had that scenario plan out, I think it would have been pretty tough to not bench Fitzpatrick at that point. I think Carson Wentz is a very similar situation. We're given the couple of years he's coming off. If Carson Wentz has, like, a three-game stretch of implosion, can you... Can you keep him in the starting lineup at that point? I don't know that they can. And if they I don't, don't... I don't trust Sam Howell. I mean, it's Heineke that would be the guy. I don't trust Sam Howell at this point. I mean, I think Heineke year. might have played as well. I played his way out of any chance of coming onto the field last year. He's a good backup now. I guess Heineke. it depends how, you know, when it happens. Like, if this happens week 15, they're out of the playoff picture, I think Sam Howell could see the field. Yeah, I didn't think he looked great in his debut. So that's all the quarterbacks. What uh, Aiden Hutchinson looked really good. We had that one tackle for loss that went viral too, all over the the interwebs. Mm. Boom! Good quick play. win gets into the backfield. Exactly like remember I I did a 
I think I did a video at some point that like every win a Dungeons and Haddon College is the same play. Same it's, looks, that play. Yeah. It's like the inside move. Yeah. Boom. And that's the interesting thing, right? I mean, J.J. Watt always, he had a lot of, I mean, J.J. Watt won a lot of different ways, but he always had that quick arm over that, yeah. that all, but it, it never stopped, right? It, like people didn't necessarily figure it out. They'd have some games where teams would stop it better. But that is just like we're saying with quarterbacks, as teams have film on you, I mean, people are going to look at film at Hutchinson too. So he's got to learn how to adjust and all that. But it was a good debut for him, for sure. Um, Trayvon Walker's getting that that hype. I hyped him up earlier today, but Hutchinson's off to as good of a start, if not better yet. So that battle's always, you know, still going. Uh, Trevor Penning with the Saints. Some questions about his his overall grade and how to explain it. Basically had the same number of run uh, run blocking snaps and pass blocking snaps. Uh, ends up with like a 90 grade with like a 96 run blocking grade. It's it's basically you've got different expectations for the uh, for each grading facet. So Penning's going to end up with a really good overall despite a poor pass blocking grade in part because it was about a 50-50 split in run blocking and pass blocking. Normally you see like a 60-40 split or worse. So it was really a run-heavy approach from the Saints. It was more run-heavy than you expect. So when Penning puts up a 90-plus run-blocking grade, it's going to be weighed higher, not even though it's 50-50. And there's also kind of some hidden grades in there, penalty grades and various things where he didn't have those penalties, and that will elevate his grade a little bit more than just the run-blocking versus pass-blocking straight-up grade. Um, Penning looked Saints' first-round tackle, mm-hmm. looked incredible in the run game, as advertised blocking through the whistle, all that fun stuff. But that wasn't what was impressive. It was backside of zone. He was so quick and powerful. Remember, he tested extremely well. Quick off the ball. And when he would get his hands on somebody, they stopped. They just stopped. He is going to open up. It's kind of like Teron Armstead. Similar from a run blocking standpoint early on from what we've seen. He will provide some backside opportunities for Saints running backs when they run away from Trevor Penning. That looked great. And then my friend, Obo Okoronkwo, got him a few times in pass protection. Our guy, my guy. Um, Okoronkwo was you know quick to the edge. Penning didn't get there. Spin move got him. So Penning, as we thought, coming out of Northern Iowa, good run blocking potential, got some work to do in pass protection. Yeah. A um, couple of other rookies I thought that showed well um, immediately. Uh, Boye Mafe from the Seahawks and uh, George Karloftis. For the Chiefs, he looked really and good. Karloftis is a guy that you know PFF grading loved. I think was very underrated in the entire draft process. I think he just got overlooked as everybody focused on other places. Um, he could easily be that team's best edge rusher this year. Yeah, Karloftis and Boye Mafe both looked awesome. I thought Mafe was flying around the field for the Mafe's Seahawks. Good. I liked Mafe coming. Yeah, out. he was flying around. Uh, I think he had two total sacks. He was the one. Kenny Pickett's outside the pocket. Could have maybe thrown it away, but Mafe was closing so fast. Um, and Karloftis, we talked about his length and power, his hand strength and all that stuff, all of it on display against the Bears. So that, those were really good. Those were really good debuts. Mm-hmm. I thought the tackle group, even beyond Penning, Charles Cross was really good in pass protection for the Seahawks. He looked smooth. Uh, I thought the rookie class overall oh. had a good debut. So we always get, we always get criticized. Um, Never. No, 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 we do. For this particularly, I think, one guy who uh, we never talk about punting. Well, punt God. Matt, what's his name? Ariza? Is that? Or is it? Yeah, if you're going to call him punt God, you got to get his name right. I think it's Ariza, right? Yeah. Okay. Matt Ariza, the San Diego State, go Aztecs, uh, drafted by the Buffalo Bills. 
comes out here and unleashes an 82-yard punt. Now, he did that in college as well, and the one in college bounced like 25 yards, right? It was, you know, it went 80 yards, but it was, most of that wasn't in, nah, most of that was in the air, but the, a large portion of it wasn't. So when this happened, and I'm like looking at the video, you know, it's, hey, 82 yards, you're like, okay, yeah, but how, how long was it actually? It was legitimately like 70 plus in the air. Like, it was a bomb. He, he punted a touch, like, he, it was a touchback, and he kicked it. It went from, like, the 15 or the 10 or something. Like, what the point where he actually connected. Yeah. And it was a touchback. It's an insane punt. Now, it was, as it turns out, it was fairly useless because it was the touchback. But, like, just a monster it's punt. It's not useless as a touchback. It's from the 18. Yeah, I mean, not useless. But, it's you know, it doesn't get an amazing grade because no, it wasn't the best I punt gotta, in the world. I'm checking the grade on it. What, um, what happened here? Something broke. Anyway, I'm just saying that. That was an insane kick. Just the leg power that that man actually does possess was madness. Q2-104. I need to check the... Uh, I'll get check the grade. Okay. See what happened with it. I don't know that it had the greatest hang time in the world. That, that might be what killed it? Yeah. Maybe 4. the returner 2, should have just done fine, a better job. No, because it went over his head. No, because the returner was like... The returner was where he was supposed to be, and then the punch sailed 20 yards over his head. Um... But anyway, we don't talk about punting that much, but punt God showed that he's got the kind of leg that he was billed as. So far, it looks like a great rookie punting class. A great rookie punting class. Yeah, bad hang time, bad yeah, middle of the field. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that distance, weren't great about though. it. But the distance was nuts. How long in the air? Yeah. Yeah, don't worry about it. Because the returner could have done it. If the returner does a better job, it does just go back and get it. Four, what two, are you four two, two hang time. If he does go back and get it, he's he's probably picking up 20, 30 yards. But I don't think you can even, like the punchers, I mean the return man, in order for him to go back and get it, he would have to be lined up at such an out of position area to start with because it sailed 20 yards over his head because it's 20 yards longer than you could possibly expect a punt to be. Maybe the Ravens, that's why they didn't want punt God. They took the other guy ahead of him. The other guy. Anything else? No, the that's ro- it. Now we can rookies? go to uh, now we can go to Mister uh, Takes Exposed. Okay, Mister Takes Exposed. Fred Siegel. He's got a new book out. You gonna talk about the book? Or are you gonna talk about it? On I'm the not show? gonna talk about it. He's gonna talk about. So it. So we have a pre-recorded interview with Sam. Don't tell him, man. It was gonna be a quick wardrobe change. Oh yeah, Sam's gonna book. go change. I'm gonna leave. Then Sam's gonna interview hmm. at Old Takes Exposed. Freezing cold takes from I think, Twitter. I think my hair is actually gonna get longer as well. That's the magic of uh, television here. Uh. Magic of YouTube. Um, Anyway, here's the deal. We appreciate everybody that's tuned in. We'll be back here on Thursday. And let's just... uh, Am I doing an outro after the show? What do you think? No, no, I got it. Don't worry. You finish the outro. Uh You just just pitch it to Mr. Takes Exposed. Or me. Forget who... Me, probably. Here's Sam's interview with Fred, Mr. At Old Takes Exposed. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you on Thursday. And then Sam's going to say bye as well. Later. Mm -hmm. Okay, joining me now is the author of a brand new book, uh, Freezing Cold Takes in the NFL. This is Mr. At Old Takes Exposed, Fred Siegel, the man behind the the most uh, worrying Twitter account, I think, that any of us have to deal with on social media. The, the account that will hold you accountable for the bad take that you had. Hi, how's it going? Good. Um, my first question is... 
take me back to the origins of this whole old takes exposed freezing cold takes plan how did you decide to set up this account what was was there a specific terrible take out there that that made you want to start doing this or how did the whole thing start well i started it in 2015 essentially it wasn't just one take but i essentially just did it as a counter to like the sports media people who were reposting their accurate predictions along with self-congratulatory messages. <laughs> and I said to myself, someone should be the person who reposts the tweets and the quotes of, of those same media folks, but that, the ones that turned out to be wrong. And I guess I just became that person. And um, I didn't expect the feed to become big, but it came big pretty quickly. And uh, like eventually years later, it allowed me to write this book about historic NFL predictions gone wrong. Yeah. How, I mean, it, it seemed to spiral really quickly. I mean, I don't know how early on I was aware of the, the Twitter account, but it very quickly went from just, you know, here's a random account on Twitter to you're like the guy you, that account became the thing where you're getting tagged by everybody. Every time somebody tweets anything, there is, there's somebody tagging old takes exposed in it. How quickly did it spiral from, Hey, this is this thing we've set up to, to counter some of this false positivity to, Oh wow, this is snowballing. Um, very quickly it countered into like from me having 50 followers to like a thousand after like a month because local news, local radio stations from uh, like two or three of them would talk about it on their show. And then I get the followers from them. And then eventually it became big three months later, sportsillustrated.com wrote an article on it. And the, the guy who wrote it just kept tweeting about it constantly. I don't think that they had retweeting your own tweets then. Right. So he kept reposting like the same post about the article, like four or five times. And 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 everybody he had a lot of media people who followed him so so they all started following the feed at that time i, I went from like 2500 to like 20 20,000 followers in like 2 days so that's when it really just took off it was february 2016 and it must be it must be fascinating to have become one of these things where you're almost like the brand name for a specific you know genre or thing or tool you know the way um, I can't think of a good example now, but like Hoover in the UK became a synonym for vacuum cleaner, like that specific right. brand or Roomba, you know, whatever, like you, you've become Xerox. that. Yeah. Yeah. Xerox. You've become that for, for bad takes, for exposing yeah. bad takes. It's, that must be kind of surreal. Yeah. Every, there's certain things that happen sometimes when I, when I first started the feed where someone would say that this show just mentioned you because I wasn't watching and someone else was. And it was, it was all those moments were pretty big, but the book is probably the biggest moment because I, you know, that was, that was more work than anything I've ever done in feed. So yeah, it, it, all these stuff. And sometimes you'll get a follow from somebody who's really a good player or famous person, um, an actor or something. And that's really, those ones I like a lot. So when you send us the, uh, the little advanced copy of the book here, you know, I started going through it and looking. And the first thing, obviously, is let's make sure that there's no terrible take from me personally and then <laughs> PFF generally in it. And we managed to escape. How, how did that happen? Because we've had some pretty we've had some pretty bad ones out there. Well, I just think that you got you got saved by the fact that a lot of the book is from 
uh, you know, 2000, uh, 2000 and before 2000, a lot of the stuff in it. So we're just and, too new um, to have, uh, to have gotten on the bad list of the book. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's some tweets about, uh, draft picks and, and preseason when preseasons, when someone performs well in a preseason game, um, you know, a lot of times immediately they'll have a, there'll be a fallacious belief that that one performance is indicative of future success. Right. And, uh, everyone talks about it. I have a whole chapter on that. Oh yeah. And, we- uh, and, and, and you could have been there, but it, <laughs> it was really kind of just word requirements. I mean, you may have been in whatever 10,000 words that I didn't put, use for the book. The, uh, the off season must be like, hot take it's the the golden time for hot takes the draft and then preseason i would imagine are any, the best any, almost all seasons all part of the nfl the whole year but the draft is big and then the, whatever the day of free agency first day of free agency right. but it's it that those are when the cold takes are made yes yeah, so, yeah. so so for future times but it's not really at that time like during the draft it's not really a time where i have like great stuff to post unless it's someone declaring that this guy won't be a first round pick. No way. I'm going to use a first round pick. So otherwise it's just all these hot takes that are going to be used in the future. One last question before we get into the the meat of the book. Um, This has gotten so big that you must have to have like, you know, a system. There must be bureaucracy involved in this. This can't just be like, Hey, let's like, you know, this, this bad take for future. You must have to have like a whole library set up for this so you can access these. How does that, how does that whole process work now? Yeah, that that's something that I like to sometimes make people think is like a myth. <laughs> it's like a myth. Like I have like the Truman Show, the Ed Harris, and like people think I have like a room. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, no, I don't do that. I don't have the bandwidth to do that. So I, I bookmark them. But otherwise, it's uh, when something happens, I'll use the search terms to try to find something or just a million people will send me something right. that is posted. Like PFF is really big uh, for you guys for, for cold takes, but it, it gets to be like every time you guys say something or somebody says something, PFF media team, your media team is very, very, very active. So you'll, they'll post uh, uh, an image with like in bold print of the quote. Mm. And then, so that's memorialized forever. So you make it real easy for us. Yeah, yeah, we we uh, definitely. But I mean, I, I get that's the whole point. Like you want you want everyone to see what you guys are saying and what you guys are doing. We definitely build a rod for our own backs on. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it, Fox Fox Sports does that too. Fox Sports <laughs> One. Um, so let, how did you decide? So the way this this book is laid out, I thought was pretty interesting. Is you've basically taken you know a collection of some of the the biggest and, and boldest bad takes, cold takes ever and kind of told the story about them in each chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you decide How did you decide which of these things you were going to do? Because a lot of them kind of skew quite, um, you know, back in history in, in this time yeah. where everything is immediate and everything is, you know, what happened five minutes ago. Well, I wanted to spread it around a bit. I mean, I could have wrote a whole book on the Patriots, but I didn't. I, I only eliminated two chapters. Um, and then... It's just whatever I could find was the great, was the most interesting story and the one that people could relate to. And about, and I, I did skew it to about, about people and players who were historic players and teams in the league. Because at the end of the day, that's what people want to read about. 
The, so, um, yeah, so, so it really kind of was a balance with that, but I didn't, what I didn't want to use, what I didn't do, and I was going to do this, but it really just came across so poorly was I didn't take like a single player and write a whole chapter about all the bad takes, but a player who failed. Right. Like, unless it was somebody who has owned it. Like I did one chapter on Tony Mandarich, but he's been so open in the media about his being a bust and his steroid abuse. I, I felt like it wasn't really a pile on, but like, I wouldn't do one on Trent Richardson because the whole chapter would just be like, just reliving how Trent Richardson was a bust and it just didn't go well. Like, yeah. It's, it's like you, really can use, you can use one post right. about it or one tweet, but that's it. You know, like one quote. It's tough sometimes to reflect on those guys without just making whatever yeah, you say. Cause, cause those guys are like, they're still humans and it's just like you're piling on that person yeah. for a whole chapter. It just didn't go good. Um, well, I really like the, the Bill Belichick stuff in the book because yeah. I think even, you know, obviously now he's cemented as his greatest coach of all time. And a lot of the, the generation of football fans now, they kind of only know a landscape where Bill Belichick has just been the best head coach in the NFL, you know, 20 years. Um, and then, then there's a sort of group that are older than that and realize that, hey, now you're hearing this a lot more. You know, Tom Brady's gone to Tampa Bay. Tom Brady was the reason the Patriots are winning all the Super Bowls. Yeah. And if you look at Bill Belichick before Brady, it's not so great. And they'll point you to the Cleveland Browns stuff, you know, his all record right, as right. a head coach of the Browns. And then people kind of forget the middle bit, which was this fascinating part of of your your first chapter, right? The One of the early yeah. chapters um, about him being in New York with the Jets under Bill Parcells, essentially having an arrangement to take over that job once Parcells stepped aside and then like reneging on it to jump ship to the Patriots. And that's how we got the Bill Belichick Patriots dynasty in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, he took over for the Jets via contract. Parcells left as the Jets head coach. He was the defensive coordinator and he was immediately bumped up to head coach. But after a day, he wasn't even formally introduced yet. He quit in some weird press conference, yeah. very Belichickian style. <laughs> and um, and at that point, the New York media just went off on him um, and talked about how he just didn't want to follow Parcells. He's scared. He's just not the type of guy who could be a head coach. And then... For three weeks, he was trying to extricate himself from the Jets' contract so he could sign with the Patriots. It was very transparent that trade Patriots were going to sign him. So all those three weeks after each legal hearing, there was more pile-on. So it was really like a three-week marathon of piling on Belichick, talking about why anyone would want to have him. His last head coaching job, he had a losing record and made the playoffs once. And then when he was hired by the Patriots, it was the same thing. So it was really like a month of Belichick takes. And, and it was all these takes, and so many of them were like, were so obviously motivated by just the fact, you know, just that the reneging on the Jets and trying to jump yeah. the Patriots. And it was a lot like the Josh McDaniels thing that happened recently, you know, with the Colts, where he essentially right. had a deal worked out with the Colts, had dinner, <laughs> had dinner with Jim Irsay, <laughs> and just decided not to hell with this. Yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah. And it was the same thing. It wasn't focused on the coach. It wasn't focused on what Bill Belichick can be. You did get some people referencing his tenure as the Browns head coach, et cetera. But most of it was just, you know, you can't give a franchise to this guy who would, 
you know, Welsh in a deal in the last second and turn his back and run away. And it was, and that's where it, it lost, you know, all trace of sanity. Yeah. And I think that, I think that when you're looking at it from the outside and you're not inside Bill Belichick's head, it's easy to look at it in a narrative that you create, but in actuality, he was very uncomfortable with Parcells being Parcells was staying on as some front office job mm. and Belichick wanted full control and he was very uncomfortable with that whole thing. And that's why he wanted to leave. And, um, and he was going to make more money in New England. And he had, he got along with Bob Kraft who, and Parcells didn't. So he, all that stuff wasn't really, was, wasn't really thought about when you're making these, you only see what's on, on, you only see what's on its face, which is a guy who looked disheveled, quitting and um, making you believe like he didn't want to follow the, the, the great Bill Parcells. And I would imagine that Bill Belichick, more than most people, would not do well with somebody over the, you know, over the oh, top of him. Especially yeah. somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Like uh, Parcells. Like well, that's just a recipe for a complete disaster. Yeah. He did not want anyone over him. He was very uncomfortable with it. I and, mean, and yeah. that's why he, and, and, Parcells quitting the second the season ended when it was so obvious that the Patriots were very interested in Belichick was 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 a very uh, shady thing on its face. Yeah, because I mean, it, he, it looked like because he, he knew that Belichick would take over right away. So he knew that that Patriots would, ne- would have would not be able to get Belichick because he was under contract. Right. That's the other element of this is that yeah. the, the defensive coordinator contract that Belichick had signed with the Jets had a clause that essentially installed him automatically yeah. as the head coach should Parcells ever go. And Parcells, and like a couple of days before the last game of the season, the, the Patriots were sniffing around Belichick and then Parcells quit like the day after the season ended. Is that, so, I can't think of another example of that. Is that, did that kind of contract clause die with this drama or I don't know. I don't know. They have it in the college football. I know that. Right. You know, like I remember when Jimbo Fisher took over at FSU, um, that was the case, but yeah, I don't know if they have that. I, they, they I do. They think they have like the coach and waiting thing. Yeah. So, um, uh, but for some people, but you know, those, those usually get, those usually and with the coach, the assistant coach being impatient and leaving anyway. Uh, you said you, we talked before we came on air a little bit and you said, you know, you specifically didn't want to just stuff the book full of yeah. the, the Twitter account, right? The, the tweets, the, the short nuggets that everybody knows uh, from the account. You did that in one chapter, though, which was focusing on the draft, which I think sort of mm-hmm. highlights just how, you know, fertile a breeding ground the draft is for these kind of takes. And I just want to mention a couple of them because some of them are amazing. Um, (laughs) This one is one of my favorites from Kevin Flowers from Newcastle, Pennsylvania News. Never heard of the man, never heard of the publication. But without a doubt, Peyton Manning will be the 1998 (laughs) draft's biggest flop for whoever has the misfortune to draft this overrated collegian. That has to be one of the most spectacular misses of all time. Yeah, and then Peyton Manning was 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 close to a sure thing, I and mean, he was had yeah. such a great pedigree. And um, yeah, that was there was a, a couple of people who, who said a lot of people said that they should pick Leaf over Manning, um, which was bad within itself. But I don't think anybody thought he was going to Leaf was going to be a huge bust. 
No, it's actually you know, so like, like it was really kind of just who's going to be better type thing. That is one of the most fascinating sort of. I think that's a turning point in the whole way that the NFL ev- uh, evaluated draft prospects because mm-hmm. I ended up. I got interested in this a while ago and I dug up some like old 1998 draft preview magazines and stuff, you know, like the original ones to find out what is it all hindsight? Cause when you look back at it, it's like, how, you know, how did anybody make this mistake? You have Peyton Manning from, you know, quarterbacking royalty, just the cleanest prospect you can think of. And then you had Ryan Leaf who wasn't. And it's like, yeah. it looks obvious now. How did people screw this up? And you go back and you're like, well, okay, let's let's be fair to these people. Let's see what it looked like at the time. And at the time, it looked obvious. <laughs> like I don't understand why it was such a sort of 50-50 decision because I was reading this feature in in the ESPN preview magazine. And the interview starts off by talking about how Peyton Manning, since the end of the college season, Manning has been like locked in the film room in Tennessee, just grinding tape and doing the occasional round of golf. Uh, whilst Ryan Leaf had been on the banquet circuit, had put on 40 pounds or something, and <laughs> did the interview yeah. with this guy from a hot tub where he 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 uh, compared him to Chuck Wepner, you know, that old boxer who, like, oh, right, right, with right. the hair everywhere and the gut who got his ass kicked by Muhammad Ali or whatever. Like, not a flattering comp, right? And he's comparing him to this guy, easing his gut into the hot tub, talking about how he hasn't really done any workouts since the college football season ended because he's been on the banquet circuit. And you're like, what are we talking about here? This is not, these are not the same thing. Like, how are we, how is this still a 50-50 call? Right, right. And, and you know, sometimes you, you wonder whether uh, it's, it's selective in the process of, of who's, who's, whether you're selecting Ryan Leaf takes or Ryan Leaf predictions that he's going to be better and inserting those in, picking those, inserting those in, making it look closer than it is because that's interesting. Because hmm. everything that's really – when it comes to writing columns and doing uh, TV and radio and podcasting, it's – you, you want your gearing towards interesting, whatever you can make – whatever can be interesting. So it could be that – I mean, it could be like on ESPN they were – trying to make sure that to acknowledge like a lot of people who post, who talked about leaf and maybe it look closer than it really was, but it seemed as if that the Colts had no intention of drafting him. Right. And, and even from that article, again, they, they had a quote from a guy who they termed, I think a curmudgeonly coach or a curmudgeonly scout or yeah. something from Pittsburgh, I think. And this guy absolutely nailed it. He had like the, yeah. he, a hundred percent. He's like, Manning's a superstar. Ryan Leaf, the attitude never work disaster. And this guy was just like dismissed as a curmudgeon, you know, because he wasn't, he was like writing off this guy with the huge arm and the big stature because, you know, these small little things like work ethic and character concerns. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we see that a lot now with people who don't really necessarily deserve it. Right. Uh, But based on what we hear about Leaf, that he was one who actually deserved it. And it, uh, it, it seems like quarterbacks generally, you know, obviously yeah. it's the hardest position in the NFL so. to play. It's the hardest position, I think, to evaluate. Consequently, it leads to some of the worst takes ever. Um, yeah. And, you know, a PFF, absolutely no, uh, no stranger to this, right? We didn't like Josh Allen for the two years that he wasn't very good and said, now, I, we were actually pretty careful in terms of how we phrased the Josh Allen criticism 
particularly at draft time, we did not write him off. We just said it was, you know, it's not that likely he becomes amazing. Um, but, I mean, I wrote off Tom Brady in 2014, effectively, along with a bunch uh, of other people. Yeah, I think I remember. I think I remember that you had like a very statistic-based reason why I had, Brady wasn't. I had an article that said anymore. that said that Tom, yeah. ran on ESPN and said that Tom Brady is no longer a top five quarterback. Oh, yeah. And to be fair, yeah, people said they said it to me all the time. I didn't cover that in the book because I had covered a lot of Patriots already. But if I ever did a volume two, it would be from the Patriots <laughs> in 2004. Six to 2019, especially November. Yeah. After they lost to Kansas City. That was the fun thing, football. right? They got destroyed. They were one and three, and Trent Dilfer was on the field. It said, it's a weak team, the New England Patriots. Yeah. So, so that <laughs> article that article came out the summer before that season. Oh, so right. it was like, Tom Brady is no longer a top five quarterback. Look at all these ways he's declining statistically. He's 37 years old or whatever it is. Like, that's the age quarterbacks get old. We're done. And it's like, he, you know, he's coming from such a high point. It might take a while, but like the elite Tom Brady is in the past. And then that, the start of that season happened and the Kansas City game happened and they, he was a disaster in that game. And I was like taking victory laps. I was like, see, I told you, it's over. Tom Brady's done. And then like, boom, from that moment on, he's like the greatest quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was the on to Cincinnati game. Right. Yeah, yeah, the next day was on to Cincinnati. The next, so uh, that didn't the age next particularly well. And then yeah. Seth had his famous, uh, you know, Justin Herbert can't play line that that's been uh, pretty big (laughs) yeah that's a good one the justin herbert one's good because people watch justin herbert in college at the end of his college career yeah and he he didn't look like i guess it would have been the offense they were running but he didn't look like he was going to be star nfl quarterback especially in that bowl game no i mean there was a lot of his college career got worse as it went on i mean he started off looking fantastic and then it declined to the point where people like Seth just wrote him off entirely. Um, but I, I use that to say that, look, nobody is immune for terrible takes. That being said, there's some absolute winners in here as well. Ron Jaworski had an amazing one. In five years, we'll talk about Kellen Clemens the way we talk about Tom Brady. This was in 2006. So that didn't age tremendously well. And then the other thing I wanted to hit on is the Brian Brom versus Aaron Rodgers thing. Because... That's one that, like, is I, – I think people forget just how big a – like a loyal supporter group Brian Brom had. There were such a ton of people that thought that guy was going to be amazing. And it probably should have been, like, a little bit of a red flag that the NFL clearly didn't agree when right. he was drafted where he was drafted. Because, you know, the, the supporters of Brian Brom had that guy as a first-round pick all the way. Obviously, the NFL didn't agree. He went lower in the draft. And then it just nothing ever happened. It just never happened. Well, he was graded his he he he, after his junior season and Louisville won the Orange Bowl that year. They had Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino left to go to Atlanta like right after. And um, Brom was graded top 10 Mm. pick if he would have gone out. Now, I don't know what would have happened after the combine or everything, but. He was great at top 10. And then his senior, he stayed his senior year. They had a different coach. He didn't play as well. And then he was borderline first round. Going into the draft, uh, Brett Favre had just, quote, unquote, retired. Yeah. And he eventually came to the, went to the Jets later in the summer. But he was gone, and Aaron Rodgers was finally taking over. Aaron Rodgers had been the backup for three years, and he played about one half of meaningful football for the Packers. 
Um, and nobody knew what he was going to be at the time. He was a complete enigma. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they picked Brom, it, it, people looked at it in the second round of that 2008 draft. People looked at it as kind of like the situation where they picked Rodgers in the first round in 2005 when they already had Favre. And um, they, when they picked him in the second round, they went to the studio and that's where like Mel, I mean, Merrill Hodge and Todd McShay was. And they said that Aaron Brom has more upside than Aaron Rodgers. Hmm. And they think that Aaron, Brian Brom has a better chance to be the Packers quarterback. I, I Brom's I, career was terrible in the NFL. Yeah. 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 Um, and, I think one thing that uh, one thing that kind of characterizes some of the worst freezing cold takes or the best ones, depending on which way you're looking at it, is it's the ones where something happens after the take that kind of so it's one thing to say something that's fundamentally wrong to begin with, right? And it just looks silly. It's another thing to say something that you know you could kind of see where they were coming from, and then from that moment on, every shred of evidence heads in the other direction. So, like the Tom oh, Brady, the perfect guy for that's Carson Wentz. Yeah, like the Tom Brady is declining thing. You know, yeah. it, it wasn't. It was. It was a, hot, a legitimate hot take at the time, right? Most people didn't agree with it at the time, but then from that moment on, from that like Kansas City game onwards. It completely changed, and it looks worse and worse as the year. You know, I have a nine-year-old daughter. She's in. She's going into the fourth grade, and she's as old as that take that Tom Brady was declining and his career is, you know, over. Like that's how badly that aged. Well, I mean, you you were one of the first first people to do it if you did it over the summer, so you probably were hazed about it when you did it. But after that Chiefs game, that one week. In, two, in 2014, that's when every, uh, a lot of people yeah, yeah. had that opinion. Yeah. A lot of people had it. But before, in the summertime, it wasn't, it wasn't as prevalent. But, but the, uh, and the Brian, yeah, the so, Brian Brown. So, but yeah, see, take a figure out. Carson Wentz was, I, people were sending me his draft takes. Like when he had his MVP level year right. before he got hurt, 2017. People were sending me the people who thought he was going to be bad after the draft. And, and I, I posted them. Like, and, and now the, Carson Wentz has gotten worse every year. And the Brian Brom, Aaron Rodgers one is a good example because, you know, however hot that was at the moment, since that point, Rodgers has emerged not just as one of the best quarterbacks ever, but like the thing, his calling card at this point is upside and talent. Yeah. It's like that guy has some of the best arm talent the game has ever seen. So, you know, he's, you'll hear a lot that like Tom Brady's the best quarterback ever or whoever, but Aaron Rodgers is the most talented that's ever existed. So like not only did it age badly because Rodgers is great and Brom wasn't, but the actual thing that they were trying to kind of, you know, use as the reason became ridiculous. Yeah. It dissipated so quick too. Yeah. Because Brom, Brom didn't even win the second string job. They picked Matt Flynn in the seventh round and Matt Flynn won the second string job. And Brom was relegated to third string and got cut after the season ended. And uh, so right away, like in training camp, it was completely over, that talk. But, yeah, Rodgers just turned out to be, um, like, right pretty quickly they knew that, that Rodgers was going to be great. And, um, but they, at the time, they had no idea. Yeah. Because he never played. Right. The, he, yeah, it, it became the, the length of time he was forced to have to sit behind Favre became a criticism of Rodgers, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's fine to sit for a year. When you're sitting for three, all of a sudden you're asking, like, what is wrong with this guy? Why has he not, you know, won the job already? And that was the that was the problem Green Bay had to deal with, with Favre's constant, like, will I, won't I retire deal. 
is it was making everything else more difficult until eventually they just right. kind of made the decision for him. And that's what they would have had to deal with if it was if if, if Jordan Love was if they thought Jordan Love was uh, developing in the way that they were predicting. Yeah. Um, but even that, I mean, even that is like, I think the process is accelerated now that now yeah. after like one year, if the guy's not winning the job, it's like, oh, what is wrong with this guy? Why are we not like Trey, <laughs> oh, yeah. Trey Lance, yeah, right? Definitely. If Trey Lance wasn't given the starting job this offseason, everybody would be asking what is wrong with Trey Lance? Like even the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, is a decent quarterback or whatever. It's like, oh, they, they got it wrong. This guy's this guy's done. You can't sit for more than a year and be be expected to be a good player going forward. Um Anyway, Fred, this book is awesome. I recommend everybody go and read it. One, for the for the bad takes, that's always fun. But two, it's a good history lesson on this stuff as well. It's not like, you know, you're not diving back into the 1940s or whatever. It's it's sort of recent history, which I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten. Um, and I think is a good recap of all this stuff. So thanks a ton for doing this. Where can people get hold of the book and where can they find you? Yeah, well, you can follow me at All Takes Exposed on uh Twitter and Freezing Cold Takes on Instagram and Facebook. And you can get the book anywhere books are sold, Amazon.com, uh, BarnesandNoble.com. Um, and like, if you go to my pinned tweet in my Twitter feed, there's a link right there. You can click and, and order the book. So uh, there's plenty of places you can get it. It's on sale now. Yeah, like you said, it's a great history lesson. There's a lot of things that I learned when I was focusing on one take to, to write about that eventually learned there were a bunch of others related to the same topic <laughs> and are in the chapters. Fan like Steve Young and Joe Montana was the big rivalry and there were a lot of takes on that. But then for one year, there were a bunch of people saying that they should trade Steve Young and keep Steve Bono as the quarterback. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So he had to deal with that too, Steve Young. All right. Well, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for uh, listening, everybody. This has been today's PFF NFL podcast, and we'll talk to you again on Thursday.